Good morning. How's everybody? Yeah, there you go. So, so uh, you know, the, that second song where it said we're, when we're up and when we're down, we're, uh, I'm up. I don't know about y'all. Thanks for the caffeine. That's fun. Um, so excited about today. Um, first thing to let you know, just uh, FYI, we're recording um, our mornings now that we are about to move into Romans because as you look around, there are teammates that we have that aren't here this morning. And so because we're going to walk through Romans, I wanted to have the folks that are like me lots at a wedding this weekend. So we wanted to give those folks the opportunity to get to follow along as we study Romans, even if they're not here. So uh, good morning, Milad and Sam and everybody else that isn't here. Um, wish you were here, but we're glad that you get to study alongside us eventually. So um, like I said, we're getting into Romans, which I'm super fired up about. Um, Romans is such a rich book. And if I'm honest with you, I have no idea how long this is going to take. And I'm completely fine with it. So like if you're looking, remember, we said we were going to do last, we were going to do James because it was a short book and we were going to be able to wrap it up in a semester. And we just barely did that. And so, um, yeah, sort of. And so um, we're just not going to, we're just going to walk through Romans. And if it takes us a year or it takes us whatever, that's what we're going to do is the Lord kind of navigates us through this book. Um, really excited about it. So uh, first thing, a couple of things um, that I've read preparing for to start um, this study is a couple of things that, that really um, smart people have said about Romans. So uh, John Calvin wrote, uh, when anyone gains a knowledge of Romans, he has an entrance open to him to all of the most hidden treasures of scripture. Like that's a bold statement coming from somebody who can has the chops to make it. Like Calvin can say that. Um, but huge bold statement about Romans. Uh, Martin Luther, another uh, great theologian, said that Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. Like Martin Luther, another guy that has the chops to make big, huge, lofty statements about Scripture, says that Romans is the chief part and calls it one of the very purest gospels. Uh, Romans uh, quotes more Old Testament scripture than any other book in the entire New Testament. They quote the Old Testament, Romans quotes the Old Testament 57 times throughout the book, more, way more than any other book uh, in the New Testament. And so we're going to get to follow a whole bunch of crazy webs of truth as we are reading what the writer of Romans wrote to us and get to follow back into the Old Testament to see the whole picture of what he's trying to get uh, to tell us in Romans. Um, if you've studied, so those of you who have not studied scripture with me, um, I study scripture in a really specific way. And I have some uh, questions that I ask myself always before I open and study. And that's who, where, and why. And basically what I'm doing is, is I go, I open the book and I go, who is writing this? Because who's writing what we're reading matters because their context, their life experience, all of those things, the way that Jesus has taught them matters in a deep way. Who are they writing? And also who are they writing it to? 
Because to know the writer and the writer's audience is a big deal in uncovering truths and context and all those things. The next question is, is where are they writing it from and where are they writing it to is another big question that unlocks truth uh, as we study scripture. And the last one is who, who are they writing? Okay, wait, 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 who, where, and why, why are they writing this book? What is their purpose to, to, to who they're writing it to is a big part of uncovering uh, the context of what we're studying. So we're going to start with who, who wrote this? Well, this one's easy. We've studied scripture before where we're pretty sure we know who wrote this book, but a large majority of the authors of the New Testament never identify themselves. Well, we don't have that problem here. So Jacob, pop up uh, this first one. Uh, this is Romans 1.1, and it's not, and the mystery is solved within the first two words, right? Um, so we're going to look at Paul today. Uh, side note, a lot of you... Uh, made fun of me when we did James and I did an entire, uh, made fun is a jest term, but picked on me when we did James and I spent an entire, uh, an entire teaching on two verses. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to beat my record today because we are not, we are not going to get out of the first verse. And not only are we not going to get out of the first verse, we're not going to leave the first two words. So we're going to take a look today at who Paul is. What 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 made Paul? I'm so funny watching all of your faces. Um, what made Paul so special to be able to write what these giants wrote about Romans of that it is the chief cornerstone of the, of the New Testament and it is a gospel in its purest way. Like what made him have the chops to be able to do what he did? And so we're going to take a look at the life of Paul. Just for a bit. So here's what we know some about Paul. So we know that Paul was born a Jew. He was, he was ethnically and culturally Jewish. His parents were Jewish. However, they did not live in Israel. They lived in this town called Tarsus. And Tarsus, I always get the, the, the area wrong, is in Cilicia. And Cilicia is like where modern day Turkey is. So if you think about the Mediterranean Sea and you think about it like a map, um, it is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean coast. So northeast corner, which is Cilicia, is a Roman province. So this was uh, a, not this wasn't like Roman rule in Israel. This was Rome, not the not the city of Rome, but this was Roman rule with Roman government in this place and. So, and Tarsus was a, a Greek center of learning. That's one of the big things that they were about in Tarsus was they loved how smart they were. One of the there was three major universities uh, in this time period in Rome that was thought to be the highest level of learning in all of the Roman Empire, and one of them was in the center of Tarsus. So you had all of these high Greek thinking people in this place that Paul grew up. So Paul grew up in this area uh, uh, as, a, as a, a Jewish person, but also uh, in the middle of Roman, absolute Roman culture. Uh, Saul is named after uh, the Saul from fir the first king of Israel. So he, his namesake was the very first king of Israel is who Saul was named after. Uh, a little bit of lineage for Saul is that Saul belonged 
to the tribe of Benjamin. Just like, remember, Israel was set up into 12 tribes and Paul was in the tribe of Benjamin, who consequently the, 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 the first king of Israel, Saul, was also in the tribe of Benjamin. So they, were, they came from the same tribe. He had deep Jewish lineage. Um, he, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what his lineage was. Um, we also know that um, they followed, his parents followed hardcore uh, Jewish law and traditions. They circumcised him during his eighth day and then immediately began having him trained in Jewish rabbinic tradition. So we also know from, um, from the New Testament that Paul sat from Acts 22.3 that Paul sat under Gamaliel. So Gamaliel was the, one of the, the best known Jewish uh, rabbi teachers in this time period. And Gamaliel had a pretty deep heritage too. So the most famous rabbi, rabbi, rabbi teacher in all, pretty much all of Judaism uh, was a, uh, a rabbi called Hillelel. And Hillelel was Gamaliel's great-grandfather. So you're talking like upper echelon of Jewish rabbinic tradition and the teachers. Paul is sitting under this guy who is upper echelon. And we know that Gamaliel came to Tarsus when Paul was really young and began to teach him. Now, we know that Gamaliel didn't live permanently in Tarsus. He traveled back and forth from the, the hub of Jewish uh, tradition, which is in Jerusalem. Uh, well, we know that when Paul turned 13, that was in Jewish tradition. In Jewish tradition, when you turned 13 is when you became a man. That's when you came into manhood and you were uh, considered in their culture to be a man that could stand up in churches on his own. And we know for Paul specifically, uh, kind of the up and coming students all over the region that was, that was studying uh, Judaism, when they turned 13, their biggest hope was to go and keep learning in Jerusalem. And we know from Paul's other writings that that's what happened. So Paul's parents uh, sent Paul to Jerusalem to finish his training where he continued to sit under Gamaliel. So he's sitting under Gamaliel and once he hits Jerusalem, he starts really, really, really intensive training is where he begins to memorize what they called the Tanakh, which was the Old Testament. Um, our Old Testament today is the same Old Testament that they had, only Jewish tradition arranged it a little differently. And so you've heard me say this before, but he would begin to memorize the Tanakh, especially memorize Isaiah and some of these other uh, bigger books. They would memorize all of Deuteronomy. They would just pour themselves into these next few years into spiritual training. Uh, it was during this time in Jerusalem that Paul most likely identified with the Pharisee sect of Judaism. So remember, all of the higher learning in Judaism uh, was ruled by this group of people called the Sanhedrin, right? And so the two main sect, religious sects that made up the rule here is Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, a Pharisee would think about it like this. They were way, 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 way more conservative, uh, old tradition, 
the law rules our entire life and we're going to hold people to the law. They were staunchly religious people. And so at that time in Jerusalem's probably when I keep saying Paul, but remember Paul was born Saul. So at the time he, he was going by the name Saul. So Saul was learning these things and he probably, that's when he adopted his um, belief in that he wanted to be uh, identified with the, the, the Pharisee part of their faith. So he becomes a Pharisee and then we know that Jewish tradition, after your training's over with, you go back home and learn the trade of your father. So that was a huge deal for these Pharisees. Was that very few of them, once you got older, you could start making a living off of the temple and off of the church, like how people were making, some of those high Pharisees were making money off of the money changing in the temple and giving to the temple. They would start receiving full uh, vocational uh work off of being a Pharisee, but most of them did not. Most of them went home and they were also worked at the trade of their father. So we know for a fact that Paul leaves Jerusalem and goes back to Tarsus. And we know that Paul's uh, dad was a, oh, there we go. Sweet. We will definitely use that in a bit. So here's, here's Tarsus up here uh, and here's Jerusalem. So that's kind of what we're talking about right now. So Paul goes back to Tarsus and begins to learn the trade of his father, which his father was a. Anybody remember what was Paul's? What was what was Saul's dad? What did he do for a living? Do you remember? He was a tent maker. That's right. So he was a tent maker. So he made tents. So Paul goes up to Tarsus and begins learning how to make tents. He's also at this point invited into the temple in Tarsus to begin teaching because he is now trained and he is going to start teaching. He grows into leadership, into the temple in Tarsus as he teaches and he becomes more and more and more passionate about Judaism, about the God of his fathers and all those things. Now, enter in Jesus, into Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and all of Jesus' ministry. So Paul, we know for a fact that Paul never encounters Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry before dying. But it is the buzz in Judaism. So he's watching from afar this new sect of believers following this man who eventually claims to be the Messiah. And this pisses Paul off to no end. Because remember, the Pharisees are super, super hardcore, like follow the tradition. They also, it's also important at this point to remember what the Jews believed the Messiah was going to be. He did not, they did not think the Messiah was going to be God. They did not think it was going to be God's son. They thought it was going to be a kingly ruler ordained by God to set up his kingdom on earth, set the Jew on top of everyone else. And Jerusalem is going to be the center of the, of the whole world and they were going to rule. They, we learn after studying Jesus' work, they had it sort of right, but not all the way. Because some of the, all those things they believe are still going to end up happening. They just missed what the Messiah was actually going to be. But they still sincerely missed it. They believed that you were going to have this ruler come in and set, set Israel on top, right? So as, they, as Paul watches Jesus lead quote-unquote, air quotes for those listening, 
lead people astray out of Judaism and into um, hardcore heretical thinking, Paul gets more and more mad and more and more angry and more and more stiff-necked and more and more angry about what's happening. Eventually, we know the whole story and Jesus gets arrested. He goes before um, the, the Jewish court and all the things that happen. Jesus dies on the cross, gets buried and resurrected. Okay, so that's kind of what we know. And the Christian church begins to grow in Jerusalem. This is when Paul can't take it no more. He goes, I can't let this happen. This is, this is, they are these Christians that at this point, they're called the way, is what the Christians called themselves, is that the followers of Jesus called themselves the way. The way can't stand. I've got to go down there and bust this party up. So Paul gets really angry and comes to Jerusalem and starts eradicating Christians. He, the scripture says that he's busting into homes, dragging Christians out of their homes before the court and put in, them putting Christians in jail. He was so angry at what people were doing to his God and the blasphemy of the way. And he got more and more angry. He got more and more violent. And we know how violent he gets because towards the end of this, we kind of know there's this guy in the early church named Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel uh, unashamedly with very fearlessly and in public. And Stephen was teaching the gospel and a group of Pharisees had a run in with him and he would not back down. And we know that Saul was in that group. They drag Stephen outside of the city and they stone him to death. So Saul most likely picked up a stone and joined the party, killing Stephen for his faith. And we also know there at the end where Stephen is being stoned, he says he looks up and he says, oh my gosh, I can see God and there's Jesus right next to him on his throne. Like we know that Stephen got to see the resurrected um, perfect uh, transfiguration of Jesus is right there and he can see it. And then literally at the end of Acts 7, it says that the last stone hit and he fell asleep, which is basically he dies because they stoned him to death. So here's where I want to pick up in, we're going to follow a section of scripture, which is Paul's um, conversion, which is, in my opinion, one of the finest conversion stories in all of history. It is so dramatic, but it was so pivotal. This was a major pivot point for the Christian church because really Saul and his friends were actually doing a good job of eradicating Christians off the face of the earth. They were eradicating them. So here's where we're going to pick up. This is Acts 9-1, and we're just going to kind of read along from the story. So I've caught us up in the story and here we go, Acts 9, 1, 1. And it says, but, stop, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what's happened is Christians have started fleeing 
not only out of Jerusalem, but they've started fleeing out of out of Israel. They're running hard because Saul and his friends are starting to kill them. And so they're going, we got to go and we're going to be imprisoned or killed ourselves. So they flee and go into the outlying towns that are no longer in Israel. So he had to get written permission by the church, the temple, to go and gather some of these Christians that have been running and following the way, drag them back to Jerusalem so they can face trial for their heinous crimes of blasphemy, right? So this is what's happening. So let's go to the next one. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's got permission. He's heading to Damascus. Damascus is about seven days walk from Jerusalem. So he's heading to Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? So stop right there for a second. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So the risen Lord is sitting there having a conversation or shows up and Saul hits the deck and starts asking, why are you persecuting him? Uh, Further out into Acts, and I think it's Acts 26, Paul remembers and recalls one more line that the Lord says to him in this space. And he asks, I can't even remember how it goes. It's like, uh, Saul, Saul, you you can't escape, you can't kick the prod or something like that. Excuse me, that's incredibly paraphrasing. But basically, there is, when, when uh, people would drive cattle, they'd have a stick and they'd poke the cattle in the back haunch and the cattle would move their way. And they, they called that stick something and Paul says what it is later on. But ba- what's that? The, the goats, that's right, the goats. Um, so Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is the extra front into the next one that he adds. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. This is a really important sentence in that he goes, he's implying, Saul, you've been studying Yahweh your entire life. You know truth. You've been studying truth and now you're moving against the way, which, oh, by the way, is God. You are fighting against something that you shouldn't be. I'm trying to get you to go in a direction and you're kicking. You, and you, all of your kicking won't be able to stop me leading you where you're at. Why are you kicking against the goats? Okay, let's go back to the, the rest of that. Uh, okay, da 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 He goes, ah, here we go. So then he goes, who are you, Lord? Now, the important part here is that he uses the word Lord. He's not just saying, who are you? He is recognizing that the God that he has always followed is standing before him. It is unavoidable in Paul's mind to go, this is my deity. This has got to be Yahweh, but this is not anything like what I thought this would be. Like, I know who you are, but I don't know who you are. What is happening? One, Paul had never heard directly or seen God. He had just studied about him. But all of a sudden, he was before the transfigured Lord. He recognizes deity, but he just doesn't know what he's seeing. So he goes, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So he has this encounter with Jesus. He gets shown the Lord. And now he's been given some marching orders. Go to the next one, please. 
On the ground, you heard your son's song falling. What what verse is this? Six. It, did I not write to go to seven through thirty-one? Uh, okay, seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yep, there we go. The men who were traveling with him. So would these have been followers of Jesus or not followers of Jesus? Not followers. Shut up. Okay. The men who. Uh, that was not to somebody. That was to my watch. <laughs> I'm sure whoever's listening, you're like, oh my gosh, he's fired up. Um, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. Just let's keep rolling through this. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The, the, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in. As he has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. So Ananias is having a conversation with the Lord going, you know who this is, right? Like, we've all run from him. And he has seen, okay, I'm sorry, go to the next one. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Like the Lord says, don't you dare be afraid of this because he is going to be my instrument. It's going to be huge. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And as we know for Paul, um, there are not many people that's, that's taken a beating for the Lord. And here the Lord is, is giving Ananias a little picture of what is to come for Saul. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Saul proclaims Jesus in synagogues for some days. He was with the disciples in Damascus. Now, we know that Luke writing this leaves out this big, huge piece that I wish we had time to, but I'm going to paraphrase it. I actually had it written, but we're going to paraphrase what it is. And that is in Galatians, Paul writing to the Galatians tells us that there was some time in between this section. And it's a really crazy story. If you ever get a chance to go, go read. It's Galatians 1, 11 through like 24. And basically what Paul says is the Lord leads him out of Damascus and to, into Annapolis where he doesn't learn the way from any disciples. He doesn't learn the way from writing. He has a divine, divine learning of the way by himself. From God. So basically, he has this divine seminary experience where nobody teaches him. And he says, he, and actually in Galatians, he has to like paraphrase, thought with a thought here and go, and I'm not lying. I know this sounds really crazy, but I'm not lying. I really had 
this divine seminary experience that I learned the way in. So that happens here. And then he comes after he has the divine um, seminary experience. He comes back to Damascus where he begins to teach in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? They remembered what he was coming there to do before his divine training. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul escapes from Damascus. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill them. To kill them. Oh, this is a subheading. That's right. That was not scripture, by the way. Just FYI. I was like, that doesn't sound right. That was not scripture. So, so what's happening is Saul's teaching in such a crazy way that Saul ends up um, pissing everyone off in Damascus. And now all of a sudden, um, people are uh, trying to kill him. So their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening on the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is not scripture either. So lowering him in a basket. So what happens is Paul, who was this upper echelon Roman, upper echelon Pharisee, has found the error of his ways. He's boldly teaching, has an experience with Jesus, is boldly teaching about Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus, has pissed everybody off, and now has to escape getting lowered in a basket out of a wall. Like, Saul, you're about to roll through a very different experience than what you had thought. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him because they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, the ro- how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So the Christian church were like, no, 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 you're not fooling us. We know. Barnabas, who has heard the story and seen the reports, comes and on his behalf goes, no, 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 this is real. He really saw the risen Lord. He really did. And he has had an incredible Uh, ministry up north. He is the real deal. He is our brother. And he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists. The Hellenist is um, the Greek-speaking Jews that grew up out of Jerusalem. They're not speaking in in, uh, Aramaic. They're speaking in in Greek. And so that's who were mad at him, which were actually his countrymen that were also Jews. So he's fighting with them about what he's teaching. But they were seeking to kill him. So they, they, they it, it kind of escalated quick. And when, when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they're like, hey, things are getting way too hot with you, Paul. And I can imagine, knowing what we've learned about Paul up until this point, dude was probably teaching pretty fired up. And Jerusalem is a dangerous place to teach the way in a really fired up manner. And so the brothers were saying, okay, we can't, we, we, we got to get you out of here for a bit. Somebody's going to either kill you or make things harder for us. So they sent him north back to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So basically what uh, Luke is trying to, to wrap up this, just this little small section is, is that Paul has now come to faith in Jesus. He is doing huge damage for the kingdom, not against the kingdom, but for the kingdom. Uh, they send him up to Tarsus to start teaching back in, uh, in um, his hometown. And what Luke was wanting us to take away from this is that because of all this, the church is now growing. They've taken a, 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 some, some steps into not being eradicated and growing and growing. And the church was, was learning and all those things. And so now we also know that from there, uh, Paul um, mounts his ministry to, um, to the Gentiles. Paul was, uh, took three missionary trips. Uh, we know that. Paul also went to Rome, and we're going to study some of that as we go along. Um, yeah, so these are his, some of his missionary trips, and we don't have near the time to get into it, but we will. Um, but that's kind of Paul's story, and it's a huge one for us to get our arms wrapped around as we move into the book, as we move into his ministry, as we look back and out, uh, as we navigate Romans. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's where we're going to land the plane for today until we study again together next week. So uh, let me pray for us and we'll get about our day. Um, Lord, um, we thank you for Paul. Uh, wow, like what a story. Uh, as we, as we think about how you've rescued us and, and the dramatic things in our life that you've done to let us know the same exact realization that Paul had was that there was a God and it was true that there's a God and that God had a name and that God's son had a name and he had come to do something for us, to allow us access to where we didn't have access to the Father before. And so we thank you for rescuing Paul because that meant you can rescue us. And so as we, as a team, learn and study the way in Romans over the next however long Lord, we ask that um, you break our hearts all over again for our sin, because that's what Romans is going to do. It's going to expose us of our brokenness. But not only is Romans going to expose us of our brokenness, it's going to reveal what you've done, already done for it. And that we need to be aware and broken over our sin, but we don't need to carry it. That we can live in freedom in you because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so we come uh, excited, open, ready for molding, ready for pruning, and ready to understand and accept truth. Lord, thank you that we get to do what we do. This is a get-to assignment job that you've given us, Lord, and so we thank that we're thankful that we get to. Lord, as we go about our day and you navigate our teams, we ask that you... Um, Allow us to remind one another what it is that we're doing here and why it is that we're here working. Lord, we love you. Thank you for community.
And all God's people said, Amen.